The following is brought to you by TheKnowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for September 3rd, 2021. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. We are going to look at state politics today, nationally relevant state politics, big, fat, hairy state politics, indeed, the most populous state in the nation, the third most populous state in the nation, big celebrity governors, controversial boys. Although our talk about the recall that is now under two weeks away is going to be interesting, largely because it doesn't include Gavin. Indeed, a little rumor I heard, or not even a rumor, some gossip, some scuttlebutt, some reasoning on why even if you hate Gavin, you need to stop his recall. Specifically, if you care about the balance of power in Congress. Interesting. Also, we take a look back at Ron DeSantis of Florida. I have uh, uh, been out here saying that Ron DeSantis has come out of this fairly clean. And uh, considering uh, the other two golden boy governors were Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, I I feel like that take has pretty well played out. That being said, The man is experiencing some erosion in his poll numbers, and they go back to two decisions that he has made. Has DeSantis gone too far? We explore that. All that. And J.D. Durkin of Cheddar joins us yet again to discuss this pivotal moment in the Biden presidency. He is out of his worst month of of, of August. But will September be any better? And what needs to happen for that to be the case? All that. Burn first. So the other night, I heard a little gossip from the anti-recall crowd. Just a little nugget that was going around. As I was discussing the fact that, you know, I I just don't know if Gavin's got love for him like this. Like, I I think he's going to survive, but I I, I don't know. I I think the reason why he's in this problem is that he, he seems to be a bit of an unlikable figure, even in places like L.A. and the Bay Area, at least on numbers enough to make this close. And here's what I was told, is that something that is being whispered sort of behind the scenes as a way to gin up excitement amongst 
folks who might not really think that Gavin's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but are actively stamping down the recall effort is this. Don't do it for Gavin. Do it for Diane. This isn't about saving Newsom. It's about protecting the slimmest of Senate majorities through 2024. See, the, one of the 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 uh, senators from the Golden State of California is a woman, an institution, really, by the name of Diane Feinstein. And like many institutions, she didn't get there by being a spring chicken. No, she's a little old, 88 years old to be exact. She was born the same month the first drive-in movie theater opened for business, just to give you a sense. That means that when she runs for re-election, if indeed she does, and she's filed paperwork too, by the way, in 2024, she would be 91 years old. That is, of course, if she is alive to do such things. You see, the way things work in California, like most states, is that if a senator resigns, dies, or is otherwise incapacitated or removed from office, it's the governor that replaces them. So even in the relatively low-stakes world of this California recall, where any Gavin replacement would only have a year in charge, before they had to then head back to the ballot box and likely get a challenge from candidate Gavin Newsom in a general election, there is one nightmare scenario for some California Democratic voters. And that is the notorious RBG. An ill-timed death to a crucial yet aged figure that would create an imbalance on a national scale. Just as Ginsburg died and tilted the court, that small little year of a Republican governor coupled with Feinstein's death could result in something that hasn't happened since 1992, a Republican senator from California. That man was John Seymour, and he lost in a special election to... Diane Feinstein. Now, I'm going to put the brakes on this entire conversation right here because I want to point something out. I don't like these conversations. I really, really, really find them ghoulish. A candidate or Supreme Court justice's health is something that is, I guess, I understand why it's talk, uh, talked about. And, and specifically, I, I guess I find it more reasonable when you're talking about Supreme Court justices and they have four-year to eight-year windows to resign if they would like to, if they're very concerned about the balance of the court and we're going to be thinking of this in political means, then I, I get it. I mean, I understand it. With senators, it's a little bit more, I don't know. You know, there are term limits or, or there are at least not term limits. There are intervals for which a senator can be voted out. So even if you get a senator that you don't like all that much, eventually you're going to be able to bring your reckoning at the ballot box. But beyond the fact that it's just kind of weird and gross to speculate on whether or not somebody's going to die, it's not particularly predictive. 
for all the times that somebody has ever said he or she is going to die in office, in my opinion, it very rarely happens, at least compared to the volume by which we talk about it. But still, do it for Diane is just kind of some scuttlebutt that I heard. But then again, I doubt that I'm the only one that's heard it. Even if you hate Gavin, you understand that if Diane dies, then it's a red seat in a blue state until 2024 when her current term is up. And in the near term, let's say, okay, we're, we're, we're going full Crypt Keeper. Okay, kitties. <laughs> it's not a bad Crypt Keeper. Let's, let's say that Gavin gets recalled, Larry Elder's the governor, and Dianne Feinstein is so heartbroken, she immediately falls dead. If that happened, cocaine Mitch McConnell is the Senate Majority Leader. That means all of the infrastructure talk that we have spent so much time on is over in an instant. Or at least there's going to be a very, very, very short track for the Democrats to get all on the same page if they want to move with anything. It would again be a divided Congress. So I do get it. And I get it that it that it, that it is a bit of an issue because 2022 looks like it will be a Republican positive congressional election. The midterms normally are against the the president's party. So if it started from a position of them being in control in the Senate, them padding their lead would be something that, you know, could take a couple cycles to undo if you are the Democrats. Ugh, I don't know. It just feels so gross. It's morbid. It's pragmatic. It's politics. politics, politics. Ron DeSantis. The firebrand conservative, Trump with a filter, governor of Florida, favorite for re-election of his office there and possible 2024 presidential frontrunner. Like many in government, his reputation in the spring of 2021, when everybody believed that we were emerging from the COVID crisis, was pretty good. He was seen by conservatives as keeping his economy open while safeguarding his aged population with vaccine use. In fact, those with good memories will remember a time when DeSantis was criticized for vaccinating too fast. But like many, Ron became stranded in the Delta. His cavalier anti-lockdown, anti-mask mandate moves, which played heroically to his base in 2020, now might be stretching too far, even for those that enthusiastically backed him. At the heart of the matter are two rulings. First, an outright ban on school mask mandates. This, theoretically, takes the decision out of the hands of school boards, removing their ability to implement mask mandates. This was immediately Challenged in court, not only by liberal counties like Broward, where your boy is from and headed back to his 20th high school reunion next week. See everybody at the South Plantation High School class of 20 or 2001, 2001 class of 2001 reunion. Shout out. 
If there's any PX3 listeners that come to this, uh, I'll be very excited. But also, the very red Lee and Brevard counties where DeSantis won by double digits when he was elected in 2018. So it's not just the Democratic counties. Look, Broward is blue. Miami is blue. Palm Beach is blue. Uh, uh, Alchua County was another one. That is a blue county. The counties around Orlando, blue counties. The problem for DeSantis here is that Lee and Brevard are not. He won by like 17 points in Brevard. Now, in my opinion, Ron DeSantis bit off more than he could chew. A ban on mask mandates is obviously too restricting for a state where you're supposed to do whatever you want. A safer political alternative for DeSantis would have been to ensure that parents have the right to opt out of any mask mandate. But now that he's gone this far, he can't back down. Also an emerging problem for DeSantis is his fight with the lucrative cruise ship industry. Now, this is a very, you know we're talking Florida politics when I'm talking very, very seriously about the cruise ship industry. But this is big money, specifically when we talk about some of the players that are involved in it, including Disney. Disney runs a lot of cruise ships. Among the most powerful lobbying forces in the state of Florida is Disney. That's just a reality. It's like it's like the sugar companies and Disney. Those are the big power business players in the state. And many of the cruise ship uh, uh, companies are bucking against the DeSantis decision to ban vaccine mandates on those cruise ships. They have announced that they will mandate vaccines in defiance of the decision, and it will likely be fought out in court. Now, for these cruise ships, they're between a rock and a hard place, as the Bahamas are demanding that all visitors be vaccinated. And if ships can't take you to the fun Caribbean islands, well, then what's the point of a cruise? You can tack that onto the fact that I'm sure for many, Diseases and cruise ships are something that have been linked far too closely in recent years, including the Diamond Princess cruise ship that had to dock emergency style in the port of Oakland at the beginning of the pandemic. But let's get back to DeSantis. He has seen an erosion in his poll numbers, but so far, not really enough to ring major alarm bells, in my opinion. In fact, I would probably still bet that the good he engendered with his base will likely be enough to leg out these specific troubles. And I will point out again that couple that with the fact that two of his biggest out-of-state critics, Andrew Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, are either out of office or possibly en route to being out of office. But with all that being said, here is a simple reality. Florida's COVID numbers, specifically COVID case numbers, are bad. And that is never good for a politician. Politics, politics. Me, 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 me. 
We got a lot going on here at the Politics, Politics, Politics uh, uh, team. We are uh, uh, mapping out some stuff that's uh, that's going to happen over the next few months. We will definitely be heading out, doing a little trip. I think my first official DC trip will be in uh, the end of October, beginning of November. I uh, I, I wanted to kind of I, I in general I want to make this like a twice a year thing that I just like to camp to DC and I just start making DC connections. Because again, I think it's just going to be easier to book the show. Uh, and also, I don't know. There's like an element, an element of me that that really loves the the concept that I can just go to a bunch of bars and talk about politics with people. Normally, that that chases everybody away. Well, or people know who I am, and then and and they and they they want to talk to me about politics. But really, it's like I don't know. I'm I'm excited. And we're going to go do some nominal coverage of the uh, Virginia governor's race, although that that kind of looks like it's getting getting out of hand. McAuliffe is like in in near double-digit territories over Youngkin, and if if Youngkin can't even poll close, then I don't think that that's going to be much of a much of an effort. But there's still time to go there. We will go out and cover it. And the reason why it's going to happen, and we'll definitely do a meetup, maybe even a live show, is because you guys make it happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We are back in the black. We are back in the black. Thanks to you guys. Uh, we we had a positive month for the first time since the election. Uh, uh, praise be. I, I, I can't. I, I could not be happier. Thanks to you guys for giving me that faith, giving me that, 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 that fire. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you would like to be a part of the team, you can head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. There, you will be able to uh, either just chip in, dollar an episode. And and by, when I say dollar an episode, I really got to get out of this habit. It's not a dollar an episode. It's a dollar a week. One dollar a week. That's what it is. At three dollars a week, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week, a bonus podcast on Monday morning. That's our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show where we break down all the Sunday talk shows and the late edition on Thursday. That is the latest that news breaks on this program. And that's Patreon exclusive. So thanks again to everybody for chipping in. Thank you for making this a profitable uh, uh, a living for me. I get to do this for my living. Thanks to you. Isn't that, isn't that insane? That's crazy. TakePoliticsSeriously.com To say August was a nightmare for Joe Biden is really screwing with the brand value of nightmares. This is one of those West Wing episodes where everything goes wrong and then eventually somebody gives a speech and it starts going right. But we don't live in a world written by Aaron Sorkin. We live in a world written by an unmerciful Old Testament God, at least in the world of Joe Biden. And yet, can we now see the storm break? 
Is there indeed a ray of sunshine in September? To break down all that, we have Cheddar's own J.D. Durkin. Welcome back to the show, J.D. Great to be with you, man. Thanks for having me as always. So you uh, just got back from vacation. So I'm sure that you are getting back to speed on so much of this. Uh, But while you are out in the uh, uh, fun, frolicking mountains of Colorado, the president of the United States had by far his worst month and and among the worst months I can remember in terms of overlapping problems for a president in a while. Yeah, it just really seems like crisis after crisis right now. And it's uh, it's amazing that you never thought you'd be in a position where the president probably wants to stay focused uh, on things like the economy or the pandemic or other domestic issues, because the other news around the world that he's dealing with <laughs> on his docket is just that bad. He's like, no, please just give me the crises just at home to focus on for a bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it's, it's, this is a very strict, you know, we use a very straight, strange bedfellows a lot to describe yeah. in the Afghanistan story is one of those where, you know, you do kind of do have some Republican support more or less for what Biden at least tried to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Democratic opposition. I think frequently you and I discuss these issues that are very clear dividers between the two parties, more or less. And yeah, this isn't really one of them. But I also think it's possible. You talk to a lot of people in D.C. They say it's possible to do the right thing, but kind of do it the wrong way. And I think that is still sort of the uh, the sense on it with regards to these withdrawals and Hey, the president's defiant, and I think he will continue to be for quite some time about how he handled everything in Kabul. Well, and here's why. I think that no matter what, the day after a bungled exit from Afghanistan happens, they still exited Afghanistan. And it's it, it appears as if what the Biden administration is banking on, and I, I think that they have cause to do it, is you look at the polls, you see how unpopular Afghanistan's been, and you say that no matter how many rakes we stepped on on the way out, and no matter how ugly it might be considering what we left, people wanted it over, it's now over, mm-hmm. we will get credit for it. Do you think that that calculus holds, or is there a way that there is, did this get so ugly uh, that that it will mar any credit he could get um you know to me it's not entirely clear that this is going to be something that you know even republican you know first of all i think the most important part of the story is the humanitarian element and that has to do with our allies it's the lives of men women and children on the ground i think that is in every crisis that deserves to be the foremost point of focus Um, And then and only after that, down the line, in terms of priority, talk about the political implications. But since, you know, we're politics guys, we can we can talk about that briefly here. It's not entirely clear to me that this is something that Republicans, um, again, not the most important part of the story, but I don't really know how Republicans can necessarily weaponize this in terms of like strong midterm messaging, because it's not entirely clear to me that a lot of Republican constituents in this country are like, inherently against what Joe Biden tried to do. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if, you know, to what degree, you know, obviously the GOP wants to beat up on Biden on virtually everything that he says and does. Yeah. It's just not clear that, that this particular issue has the the political potency to sort of hang around uh, Biden's neck as as uh, as a politically problematic albatross. So um, 
yeah, I guess we'll kind of see what the what those repercussions are. But of course, we're talking about a very war weary nation right now, a war that's yeah. stretched on for for two decades. The tragedy of which, of course, uh, includes the fact that you know some of the lives of the service uh, service members we lost were were babies at the time of the nine eleven attacks. And um, you know, it's a very very tough issue in that, but I, I don't necessarily know what that uh, what that fallout, if any, is really going to be by the time we stretch closer to next November. So here's what I would say. Uh, number one, you are right that I question the political potency of it, especially if we're talking about the midterms, because foreign policy doesn't keep. Foreign policy is like McDonald's mm-hmm. fries and PBR. It is best enjoyed immediately upon it being relevant because it's right not away. something that necessarily holds unless it crosses over into this like Benghazi territory. Right. Like if, if, if it becomes a cover up, if, if the story becomes for whatever your target audience is that like things are being covered up, then it can transcend. That being said, for for how the Republicans would weaponize it, I think the, the biggest problem, the liability for the Biden administration is that it folds into this narrative that Biden doesn't know what he's doing and that mm-hmm. Biden said the Taliban wouldn't take over. And then the Taliban took over. He said that we would wait until all the Americans got out. And then we got out before the American, all the Americans were out. And so it's like that, that is where I think it has more of a liability is that Biden is asleep at the wheel. And that's the narrative that, uh, you know, the, the, the Republicans can weaponize not only against Biden, but more specifically against other Democrats that they want to paint as more radical than Biden. And that's why they need to be voted out of their houses or Senate seats. Oh, absolutely. And to this point about other other Democrats, too, you and I have frequently talked about me. It's amazing. You go to you know corners of rural America and you'll see all these ads that for some reason invoke the Bernie Sanders is an Ocasio Cortez <laughs> just because they just like, they're like, Oh yeah, we'll just drag these uh, random high profile Democrats into these ads, even if they really have nothing to do with it. But that's uh, that becomes part of the game there, of course, though. It's been really interesting to sort of watch, you know, early Republican visits, which, you know, maybe something we get into, but you, know, you got a lot of these 2024 characters that uh, are already descending oh, the into Iowa. Iowa Fair. And, the Iowa oh, Fair. We had, we the had, Iowa had... State. By the way, have you ever have you ever been to an Iowa State Fair? I have not, and it will that will change it, before the next before the next uh, 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 presidential election. I'm going to the fair. I'm I, I gotta know you've go been to the there. fair. I, think, I feel like you and I hung out in Des Moines once. Well, yes. I feel like I've seen you all over the country. No, 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 I think we've, you and I got together one time. We've hung Des out in Des Moines. We've hung out in Des Moines. And uh, I love Des Moines, and I really love the Iowa State Fair. <laughs> it is so weird and wild. Um, but, it's, you know, it's interesting, though, to, to see the, the crop of 20, 2024 sort of hopefuls, I guess. Who, who you know, surprised you? Who, who, who surprised you that made that made the trip? Uh, I don't really know if I'm I, I think I'm only surprised to see the how many have gone. Cotton's already gone. Uh, Rubio, Pompeo, Haley has gone. I think watching like what a Pompeo does is, is super interesting. A Mike Pence. What does yep. the, the post one six career of Pence look like, if anything? But, you know, and I read the transcripts of a lot of like their, their speeches and, and the little town halls and stuff that they run. And, you know, critical race theory is not going away in that corner of America. I mean, that is like, no. I think the GOP perceived winning issue. It's like, forget Afghanistan for a moment in terms of trying to politically ding Democrats. We're going to stay focused on this like Fox news orbit obsessed, uh, fight over schools and mass mandates and critical race theory. And some of the, some of it is important in terms of public health, but some of it is just jabroni silliness. 
but well, that's the, what they uh, hope crit- sort of crit- motiv- critical motivates race, voters. Critical race theory gets traction on the right because it's a way that they can actually get a handle on wokeness, right? So wokeness mm-hmm. has been this large idea and you can, you know, you can complain about, oh, my favorite uh, author or internet commentator got banned off Twitter. And that's the consequence of wokeness. But ultimately it's like, I think even for voters on the right that may or may not like the internet or be on Twitter, there's only so much that you can gin up uh, uh, outrage over it. But when you're talking about capital T, capital K, these kids, and this is the consequence of wokeness. The consequence of wokeness is your child, your grandchild, uh, your 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 friend from work's children. That's where I think you know they they feel like this is a this is a handle that they can that they can wield as a cudgel against the Democrats. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it has shown no no signs of slowing down. So I think for the time being, that'll continue to be the message. I'm sure it will be till late into next year, but um, it's sort of it's it's a fascinating moment. I also find myself not giving Trump you know, in his capacity now as former president, any more airtime or oxygen than I think he absolutely, absolutely needs. Um, I know that is dividing a lot of reporters here in Washington. You know, inherently he is he is a newsmaker um, and yeah. kingmaker, if you will, for the GOP and yada, yada. But at the same time, I was like, when there's just there's so much there's so much gas and there's so much nonsense coming out of that. I guess you call it office or his, you know, <laughs> just the guy sitting there behind a desk at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Um, you know, but he's, he's, he is helping dictate these messages though. And all these other Republicans are just sitting there and I guess testing the waters in the Iowa's of the world in the, in the case that he doesn't run, but it does seem as if he is at least going to, going to wait and see what happens with the midterms before he decides if he will, but I suspect he will. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, we're going to pretend he is going to pretend like he is going to run until the 11th hour. Right. We know we know that he is not going to let uh, that that element of drama not go unmelked, especially if it brings him to the forefront of the news cycle. But I do think we've got a long way to go before here and there. Uh, You know, we've got a midterms where he's going to back a bunch of people. And uh, uh, we'll see whether or not he has the 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 the, the traction. I mean, like I think his winning record, his win loss record in the midterms is going to determine a lot about the the field and how bold some people will be either against him or dropping out uh, to to clear away for him by the time that we get to to primary season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, is your sense? You and I have talked before. Is your sense still that? Um you know, Democrats are, are, it's sort of inevitable. They end up losing at least the house. I'm just kind of curious. You're, you're thinking in terms of your updates on that. Cause that is pretty much, I think always more or less been my position to maintain. Yeah. Um, and I, I think most people in DC sort, you know, even Democrats in like very hushed tones would be like, yeah, you know, they probably, they, the GOP probably does damage the way they need to. I, I think that there's been enough. I mean, cause Ultimately, the, the 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 Democrats' big strategy so far has been hold on to Trump as long as you can and then get big wins that we can trumpet, right? You, the, mm-hmm. the Democrats are already out there uh, uh, taking a victory lap on the infrastructure bill that they're fighting amongst each other <laughs> to pass. Uh, oh, but 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 that is that is the big 
strategy, right? Like, uh, 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 let's let's talk about January sixth right up until we're talking about how amazing all these things that we've that we've just passed are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, can they pass it? Can they pass it in a way where they come out unified because they are going to they're currently in the middle of a civil war to figure out exactly what this back half of the infrastructure bill is. Some of the people in the House, the moderate Democrats want to just pass the bipartisan thing first. Let's take the victory lap on being bipartisan and then we can argue about what we're going to do. The Obviously, the uh, progressive left doesn't trust the moderates, blah, blah, blah. But. I, I don't know. I mean, I think really the biggest if we're if we're going to talk real, you know, 5D chess on the Afghanistan thing and the border and the covid, I think if there's one thing that has happened is it has kind of blown a little bit of the one six stuff out of the public consciousness mm-hmm. um, and and it has brought more pressing actual uh, 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 stories that are that are a little bit more recent to the forefront. And if that's the case, then this is going to be about stuff like that. But in general, I will always bet the 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 trend lines and the trend lines right now would be that the Republicans take the House. And, uh, you know, as as for the Senate, you know, I don't know, I I guess it is if. Has, has Sununu announced that he was running in in New Hampshire? Is that just I, I saw some polls where he was. You know, I think like six or seven points ahead of Maggie Hassan. And it's like if if you can count on seats like that, then it, it it would be a very, very competitive night uh, where, you know, Mitch McConnell might yeah. return to power. Yeah, I did see a poll out of St. A's not that long ago that showed he was leading, but I don't, uh, I or, you know, at least in a, in a hypothetical matchup. Um, so I don't know. There'd be a lot of suspense up there, though, for a race like that. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, you say that these divisions between the Democrats, it is so interesting because, you know, it really didn't seem like that long ago, uh, you know, after the Georgia Senate elections, it was like it was all good for the Democratic Party, man. They felt Kumbaya. so they felt so I mean, and it was so shortly lived because you've got this infrastructure bill and, and they're duking it out. And then there's also this what I call the kitchen sink bill, which is this, you know, three and a half trillion dollars spending, throw everything at the wall, you know, covering immigration, child care initiatives. There's stuff in there for like uh, agriculture and forestry. I mean, you name it. Democrats are just trying to throw a ton of money at at uh, at different catch all issues right now and wildly div- uh, dividing themselves in the process. So I think for all the talk of like the divisions between the GOP and the post Trump era and like the whole uh, representative Liz Cheney thing also feels like it's about 100 years old at this point now, because I think at least here in D.C. is they're trying to get these bills done the divisions within the Democrats are at least a, a little bit more front and center, um, at least at this moment. But, you know, hey, man, they they set themselves up on this. You know, a lot of them said, oh, we want to get the spending bill done before we get the infrastructure bill. It's, our, it's already September. Like, this yeah. is like <laughs> we kind of saw these fights coming for a long time. But uh, surprise, surprise, Congress moves very slowly. <laughs> and I think these deadlines are going to come and go and they're still going to be kind of scratching their heads a little bit. Yeah, I mean, September is going to be a, a real three ring circus in Congress. There's a lot of stuff that needs to get passed. Right. And that's and that's even just dealing with the stuff that probably could have been passed about a month ago, including at least the bipartisan element of, of the infrastructure, which, I, you know, I, I I I can understand the position that Nancy Pelosi's in. Because she's got to make it all work. She's got to make sure that she doesn't face an open rebellion. She's now fought off one from the left and one from the the the, the moderates. But 
at, at the same time, like, man, you're right. There, there's, there's a debt ceiling coming. There is this yeah. infrastructure uh, stuff coming. And that's before we get into some of the other priorities that they have, including the voting rights bill. And I don't know. It, it, yeah. it, it certainly seems like a lot. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the debt ceiling thing. Um, because that is, that tends to be one of those stories that, you know, you know, it's very important, but when it makes headlines, it makes headlines for about 30 minutes. And then, but it usually involves, I, there, I, there have been too many headlines that have some degree of like, uh, Yellen once again, warns Congress like yeah. it needs to act <laughs> before this deadline. Like, I don't know if you guys are really paying attention to how big this is. Um, and then between that and, you know, there's also going to be, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I cover, I like to cover the financial space a bit too, in terms of, you know, fed policy and, and what a mess that has been in the pandemic. And, um, you know, uh, we will have uh, later this week more economic data in terms of jobs and stuff like that. And of course, when the jobs reports are good, that will give the president something yes. um, a bit po more positive domestically to focus on. And so he and Jen Psaki will come out and really sh play up those numbers and hope that no one asks a single question on Afghanistan, which is not the way uh, that it works. They don't get to pick and choose the questions in the press corps, of course. But yeah, there's, there's that borrowing limit and, and the Fed policy stuff has been. Um, a whirlwind in and of itself um, that uh, does not have any easy solutions for Congress. What a well, mess. And, and, you know, and, and I, was, I was talking with a reporter yesterday and she said, God, here we all thought things are going to be so quiet after Donald Trump left office. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that is not those, those, those that is not the hand we've been dealt in 2021. Uh, I, you know, and this is something that you'd probably be able to explain to both me and the listeners, but, uh, there does seem to be a fight now over the, the fed chairman, right? Powell. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's been a debate over whether or not Jay Powell is, you know, sort of in the best position for that. You know, I think the, the controversy for the fed has largely just been, and I don't think it gets talked enough about. Um, but, you know, basically the Fed, without getting too like wonky or in, in the weeds here, buying, you know, what are considered, you know, mortgage backed securities and really getting aggressively into this corporate bond market. That's a fancy way of basically just saying the Fed has kind of artificially propped up parts of the economy since day one of this pandemic. And they've yeah. really, really done a, a great job in terms of Wall Street. Uh, and there's no, you know, there's no denying that the major market indexes have just, you know, set record high after record high in the pandemic. But it has also forced the hands um, of, of this widening wealth gap. And we do not do a good enough job in terms of supporting and helping our most vulnerable citizens. But the billionaires have managed to add trillions of dollars to their net wealth. And that's largely because of the choices of uh, of Fed policy. And so. That has been very controversial and it has been, I think, to some degree, largely overlooked. I mean, $120 billion a month in terms of mortgage-backed securities and helping the nation's largest financial institutions. And it is kind of the Fed and Jay Powell picking winners and losers. Um, yeah. It's really going after these the largest financial institutions. And I know people like the Senator Elizabeth Warrens of the world and, and the Rokanas of the world, the congressman from California. They're, they've been saying the Fed's got to do a better job supporting Main Street, not just Wall Street. But, um, you know, in terms of being in uh, the Fed and, and the Fed board being this unelected group of technocrats that are really pulling the strings of the economy, it's sort of one of those American economic truths under the surface. I don't think enough people in D.C. kind of talk about. Um, well, I mean, there's, 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 there's certainly talking about that. 
Yeah, they're certainly talking about it now, enough that it's kind of bubbled up into the the more, you know, a political radar element of it. But just so I can wrap my head around it, the the issue at foot is in general that the Fed picks winners and losers, but considerably since the pandemic happened, the I guess the the argument for it would be, hey, look, we also don't want a Great Depression on top of our pandemic, so he is going to be, uh, you know, given kind of wartime authority, and so he has purchased a lot of these 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 corporate bonds in in his philosophy on how to keep things up. But in the meantime, that means that there wasn't exactly a whole lot of help for you know the 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 main street businesses that have gone out of business. Yeah, absolutely. And the climate is a big point of focus about this as well. That's why you just recently had a bunch of the Justice Democrats and included, you know, representatives uh, Tlaib and Ayanna Presley and, and Mondir Jones and Ocasio-Cortez. And, and they are now most vocal in urging the president to just like directly replace uh, Powell. And they yeah. say, you know, we need to do a better job. But the, the Fed has an inherent responsibility to eliminate the climate challenges, advance you know, racial equity and restorative justice. And um, Powell has not demonstrated that he's willing to do that. So, you know, it's another issue where I think the most progressive Democrats are inclined to, to try and shake the cage as much as they can. It's just not clear that that's necessarily a fight that the White House is willing to give very much attention to. But we'll see. Um, I guess we'll see in the coming weeks to what degree the White House plays ball with those those requests. I don't get the sense that they will, but uh, does give the progressives uh, another, especially climate and racial equity component fight uh, to kind of take to the White House. As, uh, and listen, and that's been what the Justice Democrats have done virtually from day one, right? I mean, it's one thing to take the fight to Republicans, but to challenge your own party and say, yeah. you Democrats, you are dangerously out of step with where your progressive voters are. That's a whole other fight um, that they continue to to pick. Do the progressives get a win here on this infrastructure thing? Because it 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 appears as if we've we've watched this cycle happen with the the Democrats in control of the reconciliation process a couple times, and the person who tends to swing the biggest stick is the Joe Manchins and the Kirsten Cinemas of the world. That would not bode well for the six trillion dollar now three point five trillion dollar from becoming something even more uh, mm -hmm. uh, pocket-sized, uh, uh, maybe closer to another trillion-dollar bill in the same way that the bipartisan bill was. Uh, do you think the progressives get a win here, or are is, is, is the moderate position too strong in the Senate? I, I, my sense is the moderate position is probably too strong between Sinema and Manchin. I mean, both of those senators have directly questioned whether or not we even need trillions of dollars in spending, so it's like they're not even like willing to... like even admit to the rules of the game, let alone play the game, right? They're, yeah. they're so far removed. I'm sure what will end up happening is they'll, you know, the moderates will absolutely swing that influence and uh, they, the progressive Democrats will find ways to sort of spin this and say, well, uh, because of our efforts, we were able to still secure X, Y, and Z. And, and they will certainly, uh, it, they, they will make it, uh, they will have it be in a situation where it is perceived as a big progressive win um, even if once again, as we've been doing all year, it all comes down to cinema and mansion. Um, and that <laughs> is certainly the case, but the differences between the two chambers on the spending bill are, you know, I mean, they're divided on obviously taxes, raising taxes is surprise, surprise, still the yeah. 
the flavor of the day here. Um, but carbon emissions, you know, investments in renewables, uh, there are parts of Obamacare and Medicare that, that the two, the two Democrats, when I say the two sides, I mean, Democrats in the Senate versus Democrats in the House. When yeah. I'm not talking about the two parties yeah. uh, that they are still so far away on, which just all results in this very head scratching September that we're in. I, I really, the, 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 the crazy thing watching it is that obviously it all moves in slow motion because it's Congress, but like, you know, we all kind of know where the, like if this were a computer simulation, if you were running congressional simulator, you'd be able to do this in like three seconds. Like, like we all know mm -hmm. where, where, where the power is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know. I, I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think the, 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 the emphasis is just going to be, you know, can you know, everyone likes to say, oh, we can well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, yeah. you know, but this is really going to be a test the next few months for for Democrats. And, you know, we talked about January 6th uh, earlier on in the interview, but that is still something Democrats, they need to continue to beat that drum. They have to in terms of hearings and they want to keep that as front and center as possible to the degree that they think it kneecaps Republicans um, and you know, largely rightfully so. But getting this other work done is is an absolute mess. I mean, it's no surprise that Democrats are at each other's throats about this. The progressives versus Joe Manchin, basically. But yeah. um, it, that's it's not going to be going away anytime soon. There are you're right. You can run the simulations and it seems easy. But in terms of just one lawmaker or two lawmakers saying, ah, actually, no, no, I don't know if we need all that spending. Uh, that certainly throws a wrench into it. Fun times. I, oh, fun times. All right. So, so we are, we are now getting within spitting distance of a year away from the midterm. So I'm going to ask you this theoretical thought question uh -huh. a year from now, as we would be entering the home stretch of the midterms, which of these three issues will be the number one polling issue on the mind of voters, COVID, the economy, immigration, or you can go off the board and pick something else. Uh, I, uh, you just say voters. You just say voters, voters in general. Voters. So voters in general. I think, voters in general. Yeah. So I, I think um, my gut wants to say the economy, but I just put it over immigration a bit. It, it, I think it depends on to what degree, um, you know, I think can, can conservatives make the fight about immigration? If so, I think the perception is that, that, you know, they would try and they try and hang that albatross around Democrats neck for sure. Um, yeah. But I think I think the default is the economy. Right. Wasn't it Carvel back in the day? It's the economy. Stupid. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it comes that's down always, to. Well, that's always what How it do is. people feel they're doing? How do people feel that they're doing? Yeah. And that that tends to like tie it to the economy. So I think by then. But hey, listen. I've also known, especially covering COVID from day one, man, like we're sitting here, you're talking a year from now, early September of, yeah. of the midterm. Yeah. I like to, I like to think that COVID will not be the defining issue, but man, you look at, you look at variants and you look at, you know, some vaccination rates and what is to say a year from now, we're not having an entirely different conversation. God forbid about some horrific variant of this thing that has proven impenetrable against any of our known vaccines. And we're back in line. I have no idea. I really don't. Um, I mean, so that, that was, that was my biggest, my that was my biggest thing was initially when you went like, I don't know, economy or immigration. I'm like, like, I don't know, man, like this, this COVID thing, I have taken L after L after L on, on, you know, <laughs> COVID will blow over. It is, it is, I, I, I do not have a good track record on uh, 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 presuming that this would not be the number one issue of the day. And look, 
Joe Biden yeah. is the president because COVID was the number one issue on voters' minds last mm-hmm. November. So it's like, uh, uh, as much as I I agree with you, look, the the the, the economy is normally it, right? But if you look at Joe Biden's sinking approval ratings, it's because people have looked at him as not being the COVID president that they had uh, yeah. ordered on the box. Yeah. And, and I, I listen, I know that Republicans are also saying, well, Afghanistan's going to be t-. I think I saw that from Pompeo. I was like, you know, <laughs> Afghanistan's going to be top of mind for voters in 2022. And I'm kind of like, uh, you know, it's a very important story, a very, very important story. Will it be top of mind for voters heading into the midterms that that the, the only the only way me, the but... only way that happens is if the Taliban take a missionary family hostage and it, and it's a and it's a big national news story and like it's in the headlines yeah yes. exactly it's in the headlines perpetually right yeah. exactly and then uh, and people are recoiling in horror um, at what is going on there I agree so um, I don't know I mean hey I remember taking these questions a year out from the uh, 2020 election and I remember saying I was like oh yeah no I think Trump wins real I mean this is a way pre-COVID era you know what I mean you just have no idea what's going to happen I was like yeah I mean I think you know presidents often run for re-election and they win and I think Trump will like win re-election usually will yeah a year before I was like there wasn't even if he had to pull off another inside straight in the upper Midwest um that was sort of my thinking obviously everything changed so who knows, man? I hope we no can have this knows. conversation. I hope, but you know, we also wake up on a week like this and we realize like all of the news is so terrible because it's not just foreign policy that has gone to hell. It's obviously there are so many. There's we cover this a lot um, on our show. There's just so many issues in terms of wildfires and climate damage. Yep. We've had this horrific storm um, that has decimated parts of Louisiana. That's just recently decimated parts of New York City. The flooding out of Manhattan this week was was absolutely stunning to see. And I that think was the from natural Ida. disasters that was, that was from the from the yeah. from the remnants of Ida. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, that also gets that that it, it should increase urgency in terms of actual infrastructure conversations, but we are we seem to be in terms of um the weather and, and climate induced challenges really reaching a breaking point this year where it seems like that is getting more attention and rightfully so. Um, than we have had other years. So honestly, a year from now, if those, if, you know, we continue to see these massive storm systems and the wildfires and the droughts and the heat waves, like maybe it's option D, maybe it's the climate, maybe it's quite literally our existence on this planet. And as Americans that most define, I don't know if that'll be top of mind for most voters, but uh, climate will be top of mind for many, I'm sure. Well, certainly, I mean, I think uh, uh, it, the, the, the flooding, like you mentioned, does give ammunition for the moderates who are like, can we pass the infrastructure bill that we have on mm-hmm. our, that we have ready to go that everybody agrees on? And, and, and even the progressives don't say that they won't vote for it. They're just saying they don't want to vote for it now, uh, yeah. uh, which I think to add on to the cluster that is yet to come is the fact that Nancy Pelosi agreed to a deadline on voting on that. So now there is. Mm-hmm pressure for the the Senate Democrats uh, to get their act together and send something down the pike so they can vote on both of those at the same time and keep everybody happy. Happy, of course, being a relative term, but nowhere near as happy as we were to talk to J.D. Durkin. J.D., thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, as always, brother. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me and uh, hope all is well. Thanks again. Uh, Yeah. uh, So so uh, let everybody know where they can get more of you. Of course, uh, we broadcast nightly on Cheddar News. The new show is called None of the Above, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. 
Uh, we're three months into the show, man. It's It's been awesome. We've been covering everything this week from the Elizabeth Holmes jury selection, the Theranos trial, which is a yeah. fascinating story. That's a great uh, one. We're doing a lot with climate change and the IPCC report, uh, the Supreme Court Texas law we covered this week. And even some fun stuff like the Bishop Sycamore ESPN saga. That was oh my, my lead God. story one night this week. It's a wild one. But if uh, you guys, if you guys don't know about and, that, and we learned a lot. Yeah. If you guys don't know about that, if you guys don't follow sports, which I'm presuming there's there's plenty of political nerds that don't, a <laughs> fake high school uh, got uh, fielded a team of many not high school aged people <laughs> and played on ESPN against another high school uh it is it is an amazing story the coach has an mm-hmm. active warrant against him it is it is just a, a, a stunningly thankfully because nobody got hurt we can all laugh about it but yes. uh, a, an amazing eclectic collection of stories there for none of the above on cheddar Absolutely. and i would say just in general with with especially nightly television three months that's about when you 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 really start to know what the show is. You you know mm-hmm. what works, you know what doesn't. So if you if you checked out none of the above uh, at the beginning, you haven't given it a shot. Now's the time to start watching. Uh, go ahead and support our boy JD. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the kind words. Talk to you soon. And that's gonna wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you want to say thank you to J.D. Durkin for coming on the show, it is px3guest.com. Our email is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. And our podcast can be found at px3podcast.com. All of our merch, show merch, COVID shots equals body shots, is found at politicsmerch.com. If you would like to make a one-time payment of support for this program, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. Our cash app is px3cash. And our uh, physical P.O. Box is P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get some bonus content from this show at takepoliticsseriously.com and this isn't any kind of rinky dink oh you get a bonus episode once a month no uh uh-uh two bonus episodes each and every week at the three dollar tier that's three bucks a week you get two bonus podcasts covering all the news we miss on our free podcast schedule and our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of this show like the fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier, including Headphones, Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the government unfiltered podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy, Mag, Zombie, Doc, D. Really? Methuselah, honeythuckle. The Gen, middle-aged Mike.com, Junkie, Calamity, Zap, D, Laser, Lord, Scale, De Quince, Anile III, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, Chad, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, Benjamin, DP4, Banyu. What is it? Hold on. It got cut off here in my, in my thing. Oh, deep war for deep DP for Bongo, not Banyo. Banyo's bathroom, I believe. Charles, Olin and Angela, DL, Miranda, Janelle, Robert, David, Snuffies, off Route 44. Chris, 
Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, Will, J-Pink, and Andrew. If you'd like to have your name read, you know where to go. Take politics seriously.com. That's it for us today. That's it for us for the week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Labor Day weekend, my anniversary weekend. To all my people that are out at Dragon Con, this is the first Dragon Con that is actually happening that I'm not at. It breaks my heart. I want to be there. Have a great time. Somebody stay out at, at, at the Metro Cafe way too late. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss all Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.